The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 173. When New York's Central Park was being built, more gunpowder was required to clear the area than was used during the entire Battle of Gettysburg. Hey, I'd rather them use the gunpowder for peaceful things like picnics and yoga. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and today's episode is part two of my interview with Stefan Lobel, founder of BluffWorks.com. And Stefan, if you haven't heard part one of his interview, is an absolutely amazing storyteller, incredible guy, has a really fun story about the company, how it was founded, as well as some incredible travel stories. So if you haven't heard part one, you're going to want to listen to that. In part one, he describes traveling through the jungle with no shoes, why he made that decision on purpose, how not wanting to do laundry finally led him to start his own company, the struggle of balancing a regular nine to five job with running his own business because he did that for many, many years what you need to do when you don't have the skills to do something, a problem that we all face day to day. And he also announces a brand new Kickstarter campaign that anyone who is interested in travel, travel clothing, travel gear will definitely want to check out. So you can get that on iTunes. You can get that on Stitcher. Of course, you can get that at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. You can actually get all past 170-some episodes of the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods, as well as, like we mentioned, iTunes and Stitcher. So if you want more to listen to, if it's the summer and you're listening to this and you're on a long drive or anything like that, we've got a lot of great episodes for you there. But right now, I want to jump into part two of my interview with Stefan Lobel, founder of BluffWorks. Let's circle back to traveling here. I mean, that's what we both love. Uh, we could geek out on entrepreneurship, also something we like, but the whole genesis of, of what we both do is the idea of traveling. And you kind of talked about the trip that really that, that spurred it on and that was like, all right, this is going to be my life. What are a few of your favorite places? Because a lot of people say, oh, I hate when people ask me my favorite place to travel. But you know what? What's the thing that comes to the top of your mind? Because I have them, and I don't know why people say they can't answer that question, because of course there's places you like more. Yeah. Um, my favorite place in the world is Southern Utah. Interesting. Not something I would expect from someone who's come through the jungle and sailed across the Atlantic and all that crazy stuff. That's my favorite place in the world. And I, I think, you know, in the same year once, I went sea kayaking in Alaska, and I went to Southern Utah. And um, the reason I like Southern Utah so much is that 
if you're in Alaska, Alaska is fantastic. No doubt about it. Right. But when you look at a glacier, if you piece of ice that comes off the glacier, you know, I love to lick it and I'm like, oh, it's 10,000 year old water, you know, tastes the same. Right. But when you're in Utah, you look up at a canyon wall and you're like, yeah, that's 10,000 years. It doesn't look like ice that's frozen yesterday. I mean, it looks like something that took 10,000 years to, to create, to make. Um, so Southern Utah just runs really deep for me. And then beyond that, you know, I enjoy traveling so much that it's less about a specific destination in the world and it's more about the experience for me. And there are two things I'm going after when I, when I travel. And I think it's really important that travelers are connected with what makes them feel good when they travel and what do they want to achieve? The first one for me is adventure. I mean, just this, you know, you get out of the U S and this is where there are fewer rules. You know, I, I once rode on top of a bus for 10 hours, you know, in India, across the top of India, you know, I mean, that's just, that's just beautiful, great stuff, you know, and I love adventure overseas. So that's the first thing. And then, the second thing is that I like to travel on a different wavelength in that I'm not, I would rather spend a day chasing some sort of adventure or a project that gets me to connect with the people outside a tourist environment. So if I'm connecting with a vendor to buy lunch or to buy, a, you know, a, you know, some sort of souvenir on kind of a tourist defined place, I feel like those interactions are a little bit more scripted. We both fall in our, in our roles, but it isn't always who the, the people are or the person who's selling it to you. I mean, you can have a, you can have a great connection, but there are, you know, there are some defined things there. There's fewer surprises. And when I travel on a different wavelength that puts us outside of it, I feel like I interact with the people in, in a different level. And I'll give you an example. So a trip we did recent, recently, this was, my, this was my coming out, getting back to travel trip, okay? After, after being, being full-time on Bluff, like now I can travel, right? So this is what we did. So my best friend, John and I, we flew down to Panama, flew to Panama City, went to the, went to the bus station and had no destination until we got to the bus station. And we said, are we going to Chitre or Santiago? We decided to go to Santiago, which is a small town near the Azuero Peninsula, went there and went to buy local bikes. And our idea is we were going to buy the local bikes we could find and ride them as far as we could. And this was motivated by the fact that in Vietnam, there's a huge cycling culture where I used to live, right? And people are riding creaky bikes very, very far. And I just love thinking about that. Like, what do you need? You know, you can do a lot on a creaky bike. You don't need a $3,000, you know, suspension bike, right? So we bought, we bought these super crappy bikes and, and we head out of town at nine o'clock at night into the dark. And we're like, we're going to go to La Colorada. And the first thing we did is La Colorada was like 20 kilometers away at the top of a mountain. And the adventure just started there. And we just, we rode these crappy, I got a cardboard box strapped to the front of my bike, you know, and it was just a fantastic trip. And, and the interactions with the people, getting people involved to help us find crappy bikes, you know, the taxi driver that drove us all over, you know, that experience and connection with him was fantastic. Somebody picked us up in the middle of the night with our bikes in the back of his horse trailer. You know, he turns, he's driving down, he's driving this, down this deserted road and he turns us and he says, don't worry, you know just great interactions with people like that, the people we sat next to on the bus. And um, that makes me feel more real and more alive. So I'm much more interested in seeing the parts of the world that are less of the sights, as incredible as the sights are, and more interested in kind of crafting my own experiences um, there. So if someone's listening at that, like, oh, that sounds really cool. And so much of travel is 
completely unplanned. Like, like there's interactions that you have, you don't know you're going to have them, right? They just they kind of happen, but you can do some things to kind of help them happen. Like, which is what you're you're saying. You can you can do some things to kind of help these experience come about these authentic experiences so what are some of the things that you do to do that like you mentioned you just you don't have a plan but is there some things that not not rules that you follow because that would be kind of the antithesis of, of saying we're going to make these things happen but there's some things that you do when you travel you're like all right i'm going to get an authentic experience by doing this yeah so you remember that time that you were out walking around a city and it opened like cats and dogs and you got stuck in the rain and in the beginning you're like oh it's going to rain. And in the end, you're running through the city and you, you you know, puddles and there's a flood, you're knee deep water. And then, you know, you pull into a cafe, you get a hot chocolate and you just laugh your head off. Right. In the beginning, you're like, "Uh oh, this is a problem. And in the end, it turns out to be that exhilarating experience. So I think what you have to do is you have to let go a little bit. And in letting go, you have to realize that there is more than one path to your journey working out. In Panama, we bought our bikes in a junkyard. Like you can, there's a shot you know, on Facebook, someplace buried deep. Uh, it's probably a shot on our blog of the bikes, a hundred dusty bikes, more than half of them broken, right? We found this junkyard, it's a pawn shop slash junkyard to buy bikes. If I didn't find the right taxi driver, I wouldn't have found that junkyard, right? What's the other path for the trip of it would have been successful? There's not, you can't tell me I just hit on that one path. There's no way. So I think in order to get those experiences to happen, you need to let go a little bit and you need to realize there are multiple paths for having things to work out and travel for me. It's always worked out in the end that, you know, I, we tell ourselves people live there, right? Like they live there. If somebody lives there, you're going to be, you're going to be okay. You can eat what they eat. You can sleep with their sleep. You know, when we lo- rolled into La Colorado, that, that first night of the trip, there's no place to stay. There's no hotel. There's nothing. So uh, we went to the bar and, you know, we drank beers in the bar long enough until someone brought us in, let us sleep on their floor and uh, dusted off the scorpion right off the floor that I was about to lie down on, and we slept on his floor that night. It's going to work out. So whenever you have that little nagging feeling, and we're not telling you to do it in a completely unsafe manner. Obviously, there's there's precautions that everyone takes no matter what you're doing. But when you have that nagging feeling like, uh-oh, what's next? Or, or you're scared, right? Like, I I don't know what tonight's going to hold, or I don't know if this guy's going to take me to the right place. Or you're, or you're skeptical because naturally we're a lot of the places that we're traveling in are less defined are less like, like you said, you know, it's, there's just more mayhem happening. There's people are living in a different manner than we're used to in the U S or in civilized or Western civilization. Whenever you get that feeling, just kind of say like, it's going to be all right. And, and go for it, you know, like push yourself out. We've done that plenty of times where, you know, this guy's like, Oh, let me take you to this factory in, in India. And we're like, ah, do we really want to do this? We could just go back and go to bed. And then it's like, no, let's see what this guy has to offer, right? And then you end up talking to this guy for two hours and you're drinking vodka in this like factory where they ship stuff off to anthropology and you're buying stuff for one-tenth the price that someone's going to buy it in America. <laughs> you know, you yeah. we easily could have went back and not done it. And there are times that we do, you know. I, I'm not saying we're like super human. Oh, we always take the crazy path. But when you have that... I just give it a go, right? Even if it's just once. And then I think the more you do it, you figure out it is going to be okay. Yeah, I like to think of the layers of the safety nets, right? If this goes wrong, I'm going to do this. If this goes wrong, I'm going to do that. And, you know, sleeping on the ground is okay. Sleeping on the ground, you know, under a bridge or wherever you have to do, it's okay. I mean, if you're stranded, that's what you're doing. You know what? It's going to be fine. Maybe you don't get a great night's sleep. No big deal. 
Right. right. And and we're and we're kind of coming to this idea of like you put it in your email when we were talking a little bit an act of defiance, you know, like a long-term travel or a different lifestyle is an act of defiance and it's just basically saying I'm not going to accept the norm. And and you've done that in in your business and you've done that in travel. I want you to talk a little bit about the idea to to quit bluff. Just to go back to that for a little bit because you were doing it, you're doing that juggling act of a regular job and bluff for so long. And then you said, I'm just like, this is it. I'm going to do it. And you had a safety net. Like you didn't jump right away into it. So you, you had those layers, right? Like I'm going to do it. I'm going to work on my job while I build bluff. Boom, boom, boom. When was it time to say, hey, this is actually the time that I make the jump? Yeah, this is this is a big one. So, I mean, the first thing is you have to be responsible. I mean, there are people, you hear these stories about, you know, we mortgaged our house and we're on our last dollar and then it worked, Right. That's never a position that I wanted to be in. And, you know, people who, who say, we're going to stick it out no matter what to the end, that's, that wouldn't be me with my company, right? I mean, I think, you know, we have legs now, but I, I don't think that's no an honorable position. No pun intended. No pun intended. Right, 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 no pun intended. I thought about that. Um, I don't think that's an honorable position. I don't think you want to be at that, at that level of risk when you're talking about family and resources and savings. I mean, people do it, but I think you need to be responsible in, in taking those risks. But when you do, you know, you have to define something. Def- you have to defy the marketplace, you know, to put a product out there that goes against the grain. You know, um, you have to defy the resources you may or may not have um, to bring it to bring it to life. So I think it is a big thing of defiance. And, and for me, my personal defiance has to do with, look, if you were to recreate your life from the bottom up, completely bottom up and let's go let's go so far as like you want to imagine your life just as like a human on the earth where you don't even live in a society where you need to be pant wear pants right i mean because you know even the construct of wearing a pair of pants to look good i mean that's a that's a that's a social thing in our society just just create your life from the bottom up what do you want you know you want food and you want shelter and you want loved ones and you want some sort of like, you know, natural or spiritual enrichment and, you know, and you want learning and you want charity to be able to help people. If you create your life from the bottom up and then you compare that to the life you have working a job with a certain number of hours to live in a place that might take commuting of a certain size house and a car and all the responsibilities and the burdens, that to me is like, er, stop the press. And, and I, I wanted to create bluff so I would have a degree of freedom. My most specific example was if I want to fly to Colorado to see my friends for the weekend, I want to like leave on Thursday and not even think about how many days I need to ask off. It's it's just not too much to ask to have a couple of extra days off to go. I defied the kind of social expectations um, that are put on that. And so that that's the big thing about defiance to me. Yeah, really cool point. It's not always saying I just want to do whatever I want whenever I want because we've talked about how hard it is. And and there's times where you're sitting there getting pictures of people sending bluff works, uh, wearing bluffs, and saying, "Hey, I'm I'm here on the top of this mountain." You're like, "I wish I could go there," but you can't. So it's not always you know about shirking every responsibility or anything like that. But it is about that. You know what? Why can't I take off on Thursday? So maybe it is something a lot of people are saying, hey, you just you just start working from home more. You, you keep your job, but you start working from home. There are so many levels that it doesn't have to be no freedom 
or all freedom. And I think you did a good job kind of summarizing that of like, yeah, I want to go to Colorado. I'm going to go to Colorado. I'm going to go on Thursday. Hey, maybe I'll even bring my computer and do some work, but I'm not sitting in one place. Someone's telling me what to do and I have to do it at a certain time. And that, that then is kind of the, the real freedom. Yeah. I think it's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs. If, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. And if you have the strength to want to, you know, be so bold as to defy the market at the same time, you can't, you should not try to defy, you know, the forces of nature, your finances, you know, the number of hours you need to sleep. So that's where the the balance between responsibility and, you know, having initiative, you know, go against each other. I think here's one other kind of interesting thing that ties in is the whole concept of safety net. If you're like, okay, I'm going to go march out there and do it. You know, we just talked about safety net and travel a second ago, which is like, you know, you got to sleep on a floor, no big deal. Or you need to, you know, you need to ask somebody for help. Quick side story. You know, my son has, has a nut allergy, which hopefully is going away. But, um, and he ate a cookie with a walnut in it in Portland, Oregon. And, and I walked out and it was like, how do I get him to the drugstore so he can have a, an antihistamine? You know, I can't get a, I can't hail a cab in Portland. The zip car was too far. The max train was too far. So I flagged somebody down on the road. And like, you just got to use, you just got to be, there's different layers of safety net and things you can do. I flag a guy down the road and I'm like, you know, basically invite myself into his car. You know, hey, my kid just ate a nut. You know, I just need you to drive me these five blocks to this uh, drugstore. And he says, okay. And I get in the back and I look and there's three kids in the back of the minivan. You know, I mean, like there are resources out there. But I guess the point I want to make is that once you start down this road for entrepreneurship, people are like, oh, you have a safety net of your day job. You could always go back to your day job. You could always go back to software. Not happening. It's not happening. My mind and my needs have changed so dramatically once I started entrepreneurship that, I mean, if I need to find the strength to go back to software to support my family, I'm, you know, I guess I'd have to do it. But like, I, that, that is no longer the safety net. What's interesting is the safety net is now in the new skills that you've acquired. My safety net would be in entrepreneurship someplace else, working for another entrepreneur, starting another company. So the safety net has moved to something no longer being behind me, but something that's in front of me. That's exactly the mindset that I have because and and my wife Heather is perfect with with reminding me of this because there's so many times where I sit there and think, what if all this goes up in flames? Like I've worked so hard to build this and this is the life I want. And what if it went all went up in flames tomorrow for whatever reason? And and we have no money and, and the site goes down and the podcast isn't on iTunes. Who knows? Everything happens. I get worried. I, I freak out. I'm like, you know, what are we gonna do? I don't want to go back to teaching. Like I would if I had to, but th- my mind cannot even fathom it. And she's like, when you started, you knew nothing. Like you, you knew no one. You had no skills. You, what were you thinking? You, yeah, you, like you took on this with knowing absolutely nothing. You didn't have a microphone. You had no idea how to record a podcast. Nothing. And she's like, if you had to start over, like, yes, it would be a building process, but you have friends who do it now. You have a, a mentor. You have like a mastermind group. You have skills. You know how to do a pot. Like, I'm so far ahead of where I was. I'm like, I'm almost thinking like, wow, it, it might even be easy if I had to start over now. And then I stop myself like, no, that wouldn't be easy. But it's crazy because you did it all with nothing. And now you, we have all these new skills. So I think if someone is getting into entrepreneurship, the, the fear of it failing, don't let that be a fear because the skills that you learn along the way are as valuable as what you're actually building in your current company, blog, job, whatever you're doing. Yep. Skills and connections. New people, new context, new world, 
you know, new social environment. It's it's incredible. And here here at Extra Pack Peanuts, one of the big things that we built everything around is helping people travel more while spending less. And I know that this is right up your alley. What are some of the best tips that you have for traveling more, but doing it on a budget that then allows you to say, hey, I want to keep doing it. Like I'm not going to spend $300 on a hotel room because that could I could live for half a month in Thailand on that. Right. I think, I think you're going to kind of, you're going to see a theme in this and it's, to me, it has to do with using the local resources. So here's an example. So while we were living in Hanoi, we flew down to Saigon to go to uh, Kantha, which is the Mekong Delta. And uh, to get there, we took taxis and motorbikes to get out to the Mekong. Right. And on the way back, my wife gets sick in cars. So Taxis aren't great for us. Motorbikes are great. We drive all our motorbikes. We're like, yeah, how do we want to travel back? So we're like, okay, we're in the Mekong Delta. How do people travel, right? So they travel by boat. So how do people get from from Kantha in the Mekong Delta to Saigon? They take a, a ferry, open the Lonely Planet, no ferry listed, right? So we ask around. We spoke a fair amount of Vietnamese, and, and we learn that there is a local speedboat ferry. So we get on this sucker, and for three hours, you get a spot outside. It's because it's good for being sick. The, the hair is just like blown back in your head. And we are just hauling down the river, swamping women in their teeny little canoes. You know, they've got like no freeboard, right? I mean, you know, the dugout canoe's got like two inches between the between the water and the top of the canoe. Three hours back to Saigon. And it was it was awesome. Not in the guidebook, not expensive. So my biggest thing is using local resources. Sometimes it means sacrifices. Uh, on that bike trip in Panama, you know, we went down the last road that's not written about by a guidebook, and um, there was no water to buy for 50 miles. All they sold was Coke and beer. So we drank such, a lot of Coke. Such a sacrifice. You know, live off the local, local resources. That's really my number one. You know, my number two has to do with apparel. I like to pack light. I like to bring fewer things. Um, the only time I'm not packing light is when I have gear. I've got wetsuits. I've got ropes. I mean, that's that, you know, that, that stuff, you know, that stuff gets heavy snorkel gear and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I make everything do double duty. I wear my, if I wear my clothes one day, like a t-shirt, I wear it the next day to work out. Right. So everything is doing, everything's doing double duty. And I mean, it's the same thing with a pair of bluffs. I've, I've climbed to 13,000 feet in them. You know, I put a pair of tights under my bluffs, went to 13,000 feet. I think that's the cover shot of our Kickstarter project. You know, I didn't need to bring an extra pair of pants to do that. I just, you know, I just brought my bluffs. So, yeah, I've, I've been at, I think, 15,000 feet with my bluffs on the high, but I didn't climb there. It was winter and it was snowed out. So we took the world's highest cable car in uh, Lijiang, China. I sent you a video, but yeah, it was funny because I'm like, you know, I'm like, here I am. This this might be the highest anyone's been in bluffs. I doubt it now. I'm sure yeah. there's people who are going crazy. You'll have someone summoning Everest soon in bluffs. But I love the idea of doing double duty. That's, you know, if I work out or if I do anything, I take the shirt, I like hang it over the door of the hostel or hotel or wherever we are because it's all sweaty and gross. And then I'm like, by tomorrow, it won't be gross anymore, right? Yep. So 
Yeah, the double duty is great. And, uh, and, and we talk a lot about packing light here. And that's one of the things, a mindset shift has happened for me of, of getting higher quality things because I'm super frugal, right? So I never want to spend money on stuff. And, you know, it used to be, oh, I'm just going to buy the cheapest stuff. And you realize like when you're packing light, if you're only going to have one pair of pants, you're only going to have three shirts or you're only going to have, you know, uh, three pairs of shorts or, or one pair of shoes, you better make them somewhat high quality because you, you can afford to do that. And so my mindset shift has really been get higher quality stuff that, that packs well, that packs light and then have less of it. Yep. I, I find that, that that one's a little bit, there's a dichotomy going on, right? Where if it's something that I'm going to own in my life and um, I'm going to keep it back home, I don't want to own that many things. I want to have, I want to have good things that are reliable. I want some, and the important things not to fail, right? You want your backpack, you know, not to fail. But the other way in which I like to pack light and also save money is, is to not over plan the gear I have, because I think you're going to spend more money on like, oh, maybe we should bring this. Maybe we should bring this. Maybe we should bring this. You're buying expensive Western gear here before you go. You're lugging it. That's all terrible. You leave a little bit of chance to say, you know what? If we need that, I'm going to buy it locally and it's going to be okay. And I, I love those, um, the bags that they have in Asia and in Africa, the super lightweight luggage bags, you know, in Asia, they're all plaid and they have those handles and everybody like, you know, you see, you see immigrants or people traveling back and forth, like they're stuffing those bags and wrapping them with tape. You know, the bag costs like a buck 50 and they're pretty strong. So rather than bringing an extra thing, you're like, well, maybe we're going to need this. You can say, you know what? I'm not going to spend, you know, 25 or 50 bucks on an extra duffel bag here. And I'm not going to get too geared out, even though I have a gear company, I'm not going to get too geared, geared out. I'm going to pick up the extra thing I need there. Maybe it's not going to last for my whole life back home, but it's going to keep me nimble and, and flexible and things are often cheaper overseas. So yeah, totally. You create a base layer of all the necessities. Make sure the necessities are high quality. You don't want your backpack breaking in the middle of a trip and then you're you're up in the, you know, in the pool Absolutely. and then you're like carrying it by a strap and stuff like that. But yeah, there's so much stuff you can buy abroad. So I, I always create a base layer of like the necessities of clothes, the necessities of shoes, which I've gotten down to like one pair of sneakers, one pair of sandals type thing, the necessities of like the the good bag, things like that. And then yeah, fill in everything as you go. I mean, stuff is so cheap there that it can be throwaway. I mean, I've bought in tank tops when we're through Thailand and Cambodia because I just I didn't have any. You buy them and then, you know, by the end of the trip, two weeks later, they're totally stretched out and awful, but they were two bucks. Why am I going right. to pack that, right? Right, right. So I, w- I got to know, because we're talking traveling more and spending less, this first class ticket, I do not know the story behind this. <laughs> Obviously, most people listening, you know, a lot of people use frequent fire miles to travel around the world. That's one of the big things we promote and, and teach people how to do. But, you know, we're using, we might be getting first class flight for free, but we're using miles. You actually just got into first class. How the heck did this happen? It's a little bit less um, complex than you than you might have guessed. So um, I had a software internship when when I was was in my late teens and early twenties. Um, that's how I funded that that nine month trip around the world is by, is by working in software. And so I used to travel in a suit. So basically, I just sat down in first class. And they came up and they said, you know, uh, we you know we don't see you on the manifest. I said, oh, here's my name. And they said. Uh, we don't see any manifest. I'm like, oh yeah, no, no, no. And, and they were just like, no problem. And they just let it go. Now it was a different era, right? Think, you know, computers make fewer mistakes today, right? Things are better organized. First class is a, a lot fuller. You're not going to find a lot of empty seats in first class. 
you know, and I just happen to also choose the right seat. So it all just kind of, it all just kind of aligned. Um, but I think the interesting thing that I like from that is, is the opportunity to hide in plain sight. I think in this world, if you, you know, if you do something that's really natural and that goes with the flow, people don't often, you know, often suspect. So, um, that's what I did. I was young. Yeah, I always try to do things like that. And I feel like I'm like, oh, I'm acting pretty natural. I'm probably not. And it's hard to do unless you're like, there are these professionals who sneak into like all these sporting events and, and, and like, oh, it's not that hard to act normal. But yeah, you know, there's the lesson there too is like, okay, what is the worst that's going to happen? We're not telling everyone to try to sneak into first class all the time. But, you know, you were young enough, naive enough, as you brought yep. up before, yep. to say, like, I'm just going to give it a go. And it worked. You know, what's the worst that happened? They're like, hey, get back and coach, you young punk. You're like, all right, I'll get back and coach, right? Yep. And I also might have been, I didn't, I didn't, I never thought about this until now. I was also probably the most baby-faced guy that you that they had ever seen wearing a suit. So it might have thrown them a little bit like, well, this guy, this guy's got to be for real. I mean, he's a savant. I, he's a prodigy. I, yeah. Right. I mean, I was, I mean, you know, I have to wear a beard now because otherwise, you know, I, I, I look, I look like a boy. So, um, so maybe that helped out too. One of my favorite questions to ask people about there is their travel mistakes or mishaps. And I'm actually in an apartment working on launch with a few other people. And we're all, we're all like travel all the time. And just the other day, someone made a uh, travel mistake. Like, I think I booked the ticket on the wrong day. You know, and, and I feel like the more that I travel, the more mistakes I make because I come mm-hmm. more complacent. Do you have any hilarious mishaps of either travel or business in, in your case that you've had that you just think it, it all worked out in the end, but you're like, I cannot believe I did something this dumb or this stupid or how, how did this even happen? Yeah. So Travis, you know, I, I, I listen to your podcast often when I'm in the gym and, um, you know, I, 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 I knew you'd ask me this question. The, the first thing that, that came to mind, um, was a little bit of, um, of a, um, getting knocked down to size. So, after that nine month trip, you know, I was pretty confident. I mean, I just, I'd had so many adventures out there by myself. I mean, it was just such a fantastic time that I really, you know, I really felt like I had solid travel legs under me. And, um, about a year later, uh, my friend, John, who now works for me at Bluffworks, he and I went to Morocco and we land in Casablanca. We take a bus to, um, totally blanking on the name of their town, but anyway, Super big, beautiful walled city. Anyway, so we get there and um, we get off the bus and we're at the outdoor bus station looking to get like a local bus ticket. And I had a fanny pack. I was carrying way too much gear at the time, right? And I had a fanny pack and I had a camera that was shoved in the, the fanny pack in the front of me. So it's not like, you know, I had it in my back pocket. I had it right in the front. And I waded into this crush to buy bus tickets, right? And you know how the crush is, the crush in India, the crush where, I mean, it was a crush and I'm in there, everybody's squeezed together. And um, I remember having this this kind of silly thought, but just feeling like I am with the people, you know, I love, I just, I loved it, you know? You know, sometimes you'd be like, oh, I'm too squeezed, but I just, yeah, I was just so excited to be traveling again. I was out there, I was with everybody, we're squished together, we're trying to buy bus tickets and, you know, the women would go first and we, you know, but it just, it just felt great. I just, yeah, it just made authentic. Feel, you were, you were one of them, right? I, yeah, I just felt, I felt humanity, you know, I felt, I felt alive. And there were these two guys on my left who were not jostling for position like everybody else, which was kind of bizarre. I'm like, why aren't they? I mean, they're crushed too, but they're not trying to make forward progress. And in the crush, I felt a lot of pressure and movement. And, you know, I felt some pressure on my bag and, you know, I sort of went down to check the zippers, whatever, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I get out of the crush and my camera is gone. The camera was stolen out of my fanny pack right in the front of my stomach. And, you know, it was an, it was a Nikon, you know, good camera. And, you know, we looked around, we started to rush. We, we, we learned it when we're on the bus, we're on the bus, the bus is taking off from the bus station, the local bus gets like a hundred yards down the road. We're like, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. So me and John we're like, where is it? Where is it? No, is it here? Do you have it? No. So we jump off. We're looking around. We're looking for the guy. He's gone. Right. And it, it cut me down to size of the ways of the world. And, um, you know, those are good experiences. I, I think the takeaway in terms of a, t- a pickpocket is if you feel pressure, if you're standing next to someone and you feel pressure on your pocket, like I felt that I felt that overseas since that's somebody's hand in your pocket. There's pressure for a reason. Or like, like, why is that guy standing so close to me? He's standing too close to you for a reason. So that's the lesson on pickpocket that I think that's got to be my up there biggest travel mistake i'm guessing it was probably the guys that weren't jostling for position or is that what you think I absolutely mean, yeah absolutely oh they that, look so happy like so nice to let me kind of just w- work my way in here yeah now i see it. they were just standing there in the crush there you go well you also listed i i wasn't sure what you would say obviously but you listed this too and i gotta ask about this because i don't even know how this happened that you bought a black market video camera that turned out to be a wet newspaper that seems like quite quite a mishap here you might i guess you just don't have a thing for cameras huh oh travis yeah i mean you know it's all stuff you do when you're young so that's great. I wasn't planning on telling these stories. Yeah, so um, I'm 17 years old, and I lived in Jersey, as you as you guys heard, dreaming of the outside world. And um, when you get out of the Lincoln Tunnel and you drive into to New York City, you're right, like behind Port Authority in this very like crappy, you know, road area. And a guy comes across the street, and uh, he's got a, he's got a box in it that's shrink wrapped for a camcorder. This tells you how old the long this go. And to accelerate the story. He's in the van. He's I've got a van and he's reaching in the passenger seat and I'm on the other side. It's a big van. So we're kind of far from each other. And he's like, how much? He's like, you know, we bargained down 80, no 60, no, you know, we get down to whatever. I think it was like 40 bucks. And so I'm like 40. He's like, yeah, 40, no, 40, yeah, 40. So I hunt up the money and he's holding on to the $40 and, every, and, and he's got one hand on the bills and one hand on the camera. And every time I brought the money towards him, and I tried to pull the camera towards me, he would start to pull the camera back. So as he pulled the camera back, I would pull the money back. And we have this like seesaw and we kept saying to each other, you're good, right? You're good, right? You're good, right? Yeah, yeah, we're good, we're good. Okay, we're good. I let go of the money and he says, give me my camera. And I put my hand on the camera and I stepped on the gas and and I just roared across against the lights stupid things you do when you're 17 years old fly across what is that 40 i think that's 41st street and then you hit a t at 42nd zoom take this left turn haul out of there and my heart's pounding and i'm like he's gonna follow me all this kind of stuff you know i get a few more blocks away and i stop and i flip the camera open the first bad sign is at the bottom of the box, there's a big hole where the shrink wrapping did not come together. And we're like, uh-oh. And I, you know, I knew at the time, this is too good to be true or something must be wrong here, but I, I decided it was worth $40 to me. I wanted to know. I, 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 I wanted to understand how the ways of the world worked in this fashion. I just really wanted to know. I'd been seeing these guys forever. I opened it up and inside the camcorder box is a pile of wet 
newspaper. <laughs> and now you know. <laughs> and, and now 40 know. bucks for a life lesson. There you go. Wow. Well, it makes it so much easier when someone has a list of 27 things and I can actually pick out mishaps and be like, tell this story, <laughs> tell that story, because obviously I don't know stories of people who I have on to interview. So awesome, awesome stuff. Just some really crazy, cool travel stories that in the end, I mean, it is, it's a life lesson. It's funny. It's awesome to look back on and tell. And, you know, it, it's just, that's why I think traveling, whether it is just across the bridge to New York and saying, I want to figure out how this works. Like I see these guys, it's that curiosity. And whether you're, you're 10,000 miles away or 10 miles away, if you can have that curiosity about life, it just, it opens up so many opportunities, doors, and experiences that we wouldn't have normally. Great. Can, can I, can I add one thing, Travis? Which of course. Is, I think a really important thing to making a trip fulfilling is crafting a trip that relates to who you are. You might be interested in museums of Paris, right? Don't go to Paris and see 15 museums if you don't go to museums back home. Go see one or two. Take whatever it is you love back home. You know, do you, do you, like, do you like to run? Do you like to ride bikes? You know, obviously, do you like food? Whatever it is back home, think about your rhythms like that. And I think the most fulfilling trips, you know, it, it's a balance between putting yourself in new experiences and expanding your horizon, right? Absolutely valid. But at the same time, don't forget who you are. So you make sure that you don't craft a trip that is more about fantasy, the fantasy of something than the reality of it. Carry that stuff with you. Make sure you have those pleasures. And when you build those pleasures in, like if you really like to play soccer, go find a pickup soccer game in Paris. And you'll be like, that was the greatest day I played soccer. These guys was totally awesome. And then we got like, you know, baguette and cheese afterwards. That's the stuff that's going to be fulfilling. That is perfect advice. Perfect. Because so many times, even I fall into it. Like we're in Paris. Let's go to museums. I'm like, I don't like museums. Yeah, we're going to go to the Louvre. It's something to see. I get it. But it is. It's the, for us, I, like I love biking. So my favorite experiences in cities is like rent a bike, whether it's the city bikes they have or whether it's a bike from a shop, whatever, and just bike around. Like yeah. some people hate biking. My wife doesn't really like biking. So she gets yeah. pretty sick of it. So I'm like, I'm going to go <laughs> off on my own. That's fine. It is. It's like, take what you love and then go do it in a different place. Oh man, you hit the nail on the head. That's awesome. Thanks, man. Um, what do you guys have in the pipeline, either personally or professionally? You've already touched on the Kickstarter video. When this podcast goes live, it will be the middle of June, so people can probably actually go and check it out then. What else is going on? You got the lightweight chinos. Anything else that you want to like give us a sneak peek into? Sure. So three things. So um, so from a personal standpoint, you know, my wife's a teacher and 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 my kid's a kid, right? So I vowed that we were gonna have <laughs> summers out of New York. And uh, so this summer we're going to be in, in Canada and then out west in Montana and Oregon. So that, that's from a personal standpoint. On the business side, you know, we still need to double Bluff's revenue to really survive long term. There's a whole other conversation about what it takes to, to run a business from a mechanical standpoint. Learned a lot, a lot, a lot about that cash flow and cost of goods sold, organization stuff. And boy, those are dry terms. But learning how to run a business like a machine and keep it healthy is really important for surviving over the long term. So we're still working on that. So every time somebody buys a pair of pants, it means it means a big a big thing for us because it's going to help us grow. And it's huge because you guys are a small company. And that's one of the things that I love about having you on and, and opening up about the realities of it because 
it's the same with extra pack of peanuts. Like every time I get an email, I'm still super excited. Every time yes. someone writes and like, thanks for this podcast, I'm still super excited. Every time you guys get a sale, I mean, it is a very personal connection. It it re- it really is. It, it, I mean, we it just it makes a difference. You know, it's to people they look at us. You know, as these people who have these companies or incredibly successful podcasts, and we're just you know we're also just kind of regular guys trying to make it work. Definitely regular guys. So the big story, yeah, yeah, the big story. So we've been working on a wrinkle-free travel blazer for some time now, and people have asked us to do it in our original fabric. We absolutely could have, but I, I just have things that I want to accomplish with it that are a little bit different, that calls for a different fabric. And, uh, you know, I'm just keeping my standards high. I've had a lot of fabrics fail to make the cut. So that wrinkle-free travel blazer, I'm optimistic about it. It's not ready to come to life yet. Don't have a date for it. Still working on it. And then beyond that, I have the ultimate pair of underwear coming out. The ultimate, you will wear them at home, you wear them in the gym and you wear them to travel. And there, and, and every product, there's problems that we want to solve and there are things we want to do in underwear. So that's awesome because I hate wearing pants. Like I love bluffs. I hate wearing pants. I'm usually recording today. I'm recording in shorts, sometimes in underwear, maybe a little too much TMI for people, uh, not video podcasts for a reason, but (laughs) my wife Heather will be so stoked because she's always trying to get me to bring a blazer or something nice. And I'm stoked because I just want to have nice underwear. So yeah, yeah, you are yeah. solving a whole marital problem for both sides here. I really appreciate it, Stefan. Thanks, man. Good, good, good. My pleasure. Also, you you told me before you wanted to give the EPOP listeners a, a discount, which is incredibly generous, especially for small companies. And that's why we love supporting Bluff. We love supporting Tortuga, all these type of awesome travel companies that really start from the ground up. Go ahead, tell people what they would need to do, and then we'll get into you know where they can go to find bluffs, all that type of stuff, and then how they can get the discount. Sure, I think it's I think it's a great idea. You know, we, we should do it. It's just you know, I love I love the opportunity to, to to extend a discount to people in the community, and I don't know, it just feels good. So, um, what you do, you go to bluffworks.com, um, you buy a pair of pants, you put them in your cart, you go all the way to checkout, and then at the end of checkout, on the right hand side of the screen, you're going to see a a place that says if you have a discount code. Um, you can enter it here. And um, Travis, we can make up any code you want. I, I think we should stick with EPOP. It's really okay. easy. It's the same as some of the other things. And uh, yep. hopefully people don't forget it. I mean, that would be kind of disheartening. Hopefully to me. not. <laughs> so um, let's make it EPOP. And um, you know, we produce our pants in New York City. So our margins, you know, making them in the US, not making them overseas is tougher. So you know, we can't do a half off or something like that. So I think what, what we came up with is like, we can do about 9 or $10 off each pair. Um, they're 93 at retail, so um, the coupon will be for 10% off however many pairs you you order. And uh, we ship them all over the world. You know, we, we ship pa- pants to, to Ethiopia. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. Peace Corps guys, oil rig guys. I mean, it's, it's great. So uh, that's what we do. Yeah, thank you so much. And and this is just something we talked about right before we started the show. So really awesome, Stefan. And if you guys are looking for a pair of travel pants, go Check that out. You know, use a discount code and then share. As we talked about, that is the biggest way that you can help a small company that you like grow. So if you do get a pair of buffs and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't have to wash these for three weeks, this is worth it. I'm saving all the money I spent on them in in laundry detergent. You know, go share that with all your friends. And Stefan, I want to say thanks again so much for coming on the show and for finally creating a pair of travel pants that are actually made for travelers, not just kind of by a big company targeted at travelers. Thank you, Travis. And I will see you in the gym on your podcast.
Guys, if you're looking for a pair of travel pants that can, as we, as Stefan says on the front of the website, I love this tagline. We didn't come out in the podcast. Climb a mountain or the corporate ladder. Head on over to buffworks.com. They've now got six different colors. I have the gray and the khaki. I've actually, because I've been traveling to such warm areas, Stefan, I gave the khaki ones to my buddy who's a principal at a school because I was like storing stuff at his house. And he's like, those look really sharp. I'm like, Dude, check these out. So now he's, I, I didn't give him the goodwill, don't worry, not going to be on a homeless guy, but now he's pushing them out to other people. So really cool stuff. Six colors available, guys. Head to buffworks.com. Use the promo code EPOP. And again, Stefan, thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. Super time, Travis. Or thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Thanks for the support and for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. Oh,